0: a little crazy. But when the world tries to wish you happiness and joy, how is it that they enable that joy? What's the foundation for it? Why is it that you can have a happy holiday? Our daughter was married, as many of you know, here recently. And one of the testimonies that we got back from the waiters and waitresses over across at the hotel across the street was they said, How is it that these people here are so joyous and so happy when there's no alcohol being served? That's the way they think about it. They think about, well, surely if you're going to have that kind of happiness and that kind of joy, it's got to involve the abuse of some substance. But that raises the question for all of us, okay, when we say that we are wishing you a Merry Christmas and happy holidays and, and a really joyous new year, do we really want to do that uh, to people whose lives are miserable with cancer or cocaine or they've recently lost those, their loved ones have, have passed away Can you and I really with confidence portray these things? Because when people are mourning and they are grieving, how is it that we are supposed to turn the corner on that? How is it we're supposed to really be a blessing? I think that's exactly what we find in Nehemiah chapter 8. So if you've turned there, and for those of you online, the manuscripts are online as they usually are there on our sermons page I just want to kind of walk you through this and think, what exactly is going on? Okay, when the world says, deck the halls, and it's fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la, la, 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 it, that leads to a whole lot of folly, doesn't it? Even in Christian circles, sometimes we get really, really confused. My wife and I were sitting in front of a uh, a really nice Store that I could not take our small children into years ago because it was full of glass, and I knew good and well that one of them would probably break something. And my son said, "Dad, who's Wayne?" Wayne. The radio was on. "Who's Wayne?" I said, "Wayne. I, I don't. Is one of your friends, Wayne." He goes, "No, Dad. The Wayne in the manger. Who's Wayne?" I said, "It's not. <laughs> it's not Wayne. It's it's away in a manger." And so we had a chance to kind of sing the song together. So here's the question we're really raising this morning is how can we have a celebration when when there is so much sorrow we we had a funeral just recently Lois DeWeese passed away there's there is so much sorrow how do we turn that into celebrations how do we like Flip a switch at, at at the holiday season, and all of a sudden everything is like happy and joyous. I believe Nehemiah chapter 8 can actually help us with this because there are specific steps in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12, to have a happy, holy day. When you hear that word holiday today, it comes to our culture from a holy day as you would find in the Old Testament. And in some cultures around the world it it just means a vacation. It just means a day off. But in Nehemiah chapter 8 I think it really really helps us to understand how we could use our special days. Our special days like Christmas coming up for most of us Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Day, Thanksgiving Day of course just passed, and coming up to Easter. How do we infuse these holidays with new and significant meaning. If you think about it this way in the scripture, and I think it's this way in life, you have this level of what to do. That's the level of practice, the level of deeds. What is it I'm supposed to do next? Well, all of us know that if you want to know what to do, you have to ask a lower, deeper question, which is, why should you do it? Why should you do what you are doing? And that's the level of principles for us, biblical principles, and by that we mean a rule or law by which we would govern our lives, principles that cause us to put them into practice. But there's another deeper level, and that really is the level of who our God is, his, his nature, his character, the one who gave us those principles, the one who gave us those promises to put into practice. And I hope that as we search this out today we can see exactly how we can approach this. Because these people in Nehemiah chapter 8, it's like a classic example, a classic story of how to have a happy holiday even though you have been through devastation. Now you're familiar today with what's going on in the Ukraine. You're familiar with what's going on in Myanmar and several other countries Ask yourself the question this morning, if I were a Christian, if I were a believer in one of those nations, how would I go about finding joy? How would I go about finding happiness? And when you get to Nehemiah chapter 8, you find this really, really interesting intersection. 586 B.C., just as Jeremiah had predicted, Jerusalem was destroyed. It's, It's in rubble under the ministry and the administration of Nehemiah, Ezra, the people came back together. They rebuilt the walls in record time. And when you see that and you see what happened there, you begin to realize there might be real hope for all of us. So let's look again at Nehemiah chapter 8. Notice if you will in verses 8 and 9. Notice what it says. So they, as they gathered there, they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. Aren't you praising the Lord this morning that you have a copy of the word of God in your hand? You you have God's very words to us in your hands this morning. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense, the idea of giving an explanation, and caused them to understand the reading. In Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, meaning governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites taught the people and said unto all the people, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Okay, stop just for a moment, ask this question. If, if somebody said to people in the world today, this day is holy unto the Lord, wouldn't their conclusion be, okay, well, it's probably going to be boring and there's just not going to be very much to it That's the really interesting part about this. They said, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Doesn't verse 10 sound a lot like our common celebrations of Christmas Day to you? And when you see what is actually here, and and they're actually telling the people, look, stop your mourning, stop your weeping, stop your grieving. It's time to celebrate. That tells you that there is something here in the Word of God that enables us. And he says right there, the last phrase that's on the screen, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's the Lord who is at work in all of us. There are those of you in this room who know exactly the experiences in this passage. Six years ago, my father passed away on November 1, and that was hard. I still remember my wife was at a choir practice. I was out in the yard, cold, windy. I was trying to get something done, and I was just crying out to the Lord and said, Lord i don't know how much more of this i can take lord please help me turn our hearts i went inside to make coffee and my wife came in early from choir practice and i looked at her and she said my father just died so here it was on november 1 my father died and then on november 18 her father died and it was right before thanksgiving that year thanksgiving was more like thanks grieving it was during that time that the Lord led me to this passage in Nehemiah chapter eight, and I realized, look at the command that is here weep no more, grieve no more. This day is a day of celebration. So we announced this to our entire family and said, look, we've got our time of grieving, we've got our time of, of mourning and weeping, but look at Christmas time when we come together. We can actually follow what's right here in the Word of God and we can turn our mourning and weeping into celebration. We can go from sorrows to celebration. Even when we are in the middle of some really horrid days. There may be those of you here this morning and, and you've just come from the hospital or you know a loved one who's in the hospital. How do you turn from that, from those horrid days, those hospital days, days of heartache? How do you do that? Pastor Shepherd knows there are so many times when we will be called upon to go straight from a funeral right over to the hospital to, to greet a newborn and rejoice with the parents. Folks, sometimes that can just really tear on you. And you wonder, how, how do I work through that? The word of God here helps us. Nehemiah means Jehovah comforts. And you talk about somebody who well understood how to work through this. You go back to Nehemiah chapter one, you find out that he was the cupbearer to the king. We believe it was King Artaxerxes. You find out that he, in Nehemiah chapter one, began to really grapple with the prayers that had been prayed, like the prayer in Daniel chapter 9. He began to wrestle with the law, what Moses had written in the law, and he began to cry out to the Lord that the city of Jerusalem could be rebuilt from the rubble it was in. And in remarkable fashion, the people came together and said, let us rise up and build. And under Nehemiah's administration, they rebuilt the land. They rebuilt the the city, I should say, of Jerusalem. All the while that they were taking that rubble and, and using it to put it back in place and rebuild those walls, one of the questions that had to be on their minds was this, how in the world did we get in this mess in the first place? How is it that our city was destroyed? And what that caused them to do, I believe, was to go back and say, we ought to search God's word. We ought, we ought to find out how in the world did we get in this mess in the first place. And in so doing, to understand how do we avoid having our city destroyed again. So they met, the, the scriptures tell us here, In if you go back to verse 1 and start to work down. It tells you that they met. And I love this in verse 1 when he says, "...all the people gathered themselves together as one man brothers and sisters here's what we can rejoice around this morning here's what we know the the apostle paul said fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded having the same love being of one accord of one mind we know that we can come together and in a fascinating fashion we can come together as one man do you understand how rare that is in this world today Uh, All you have to do is just go back to the political, recent political elections and you, I mean, it's just nauseating to see the division. And now there are people who are trying to foment even more and more division. For people to come together, like you and I are coming together this morning as one man, as as one body, if you will, as, as just coming together around the Word of God, it's so rare. And it tells you that they met at a place called the Watergate. Now here in our culture when we hear Watergate we think about one of the biggest scandals in the history of the United States. The Watergate Hotel was named for the Watergate that is very close by there in Washington. It's part of the canal system on the Potomac River. Here they met at the Watergate and this is really interesting that when you get into the archaeology and all the discoveries of what they're going through right now in Jerusalem they're looking constantly for indications of of where some of these gates were. For instance, where was this water gate? Now we can make some assumptions because we know, and you can kind of look at it this way this morning, if the front of the pulpit, which faces east, if this were the eastern gate, so you think about what that would mean. It would mean you go down into the Kidron Valley and then you would go up and there would be the Mount of Olives on the other side So here is the east going toward the south, and you look at the Ophel and the other parts there, David's original city, the city of David. We know that there were a couple of small bodies of water down here, the Gion Springs and the Pool of Siloam. And so here is the best guess, and I've seen several scholars now say it almost had to be. It had to be this this water gate, this square where they all met together was a natural meeting place and it was the water gate and they all made up their minds okay the city's been rebuilt we're going to meet there and look what it says there in verse 1 again all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate and they spoke unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded to Israel they wanted to know They, they just came out of rebuilding the rubble. They wanted to know, how do, we, how do we work this out so we never ever have to go through this kind of thing again? It's exactly the question you and I are raising when we think about the grieving and the mourning and we ask ourselves, how can we sing joy to the world and, and all is calm and all is bright when it's not that way at all in our world? It's because of what's happening in our hearts. I think we see in this passage that there are some basics for blessing that are laid out for us here because you're hearing a, a command to rejoice. Okay wherever you are this morning, what, whatever it is that's going on in your life, wh- whatever kind of heartache, whatever kind of misery, it could be you're, you're wrestling with uh, folks who are abusing cocaine or drugs or it's the cancer that news that you've recently received. How do we actually turn the corner here and celebrate? And here's the beauty of it. It's commanded. God commanded us to rejoice and by the way this is not the only time that we're commanded to rejoice throughout the scriptures we're commanded to rejoice evermore first Thessalonians chapter 5 you and I are called upon to do this but it's interesting when you stop to think about okay how do they how do they turn here this this heartache they've gone through the, the holiday how do they actually do that Do you remember that Jesus, when He opened His ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, that He began with the words, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then He moved on to say, And blessed are those who mourn. Now now here's what happened. Here's what happened last night in the Bethlehem experience. As the gospel was preached, people began to realize that they were spiritually impoverished. They began to realize, I, I'm a sinner. And, and, and what is it immediately when somebody recognizes that he or she is a sinner, what's the very first thing that happens to them? Well, they begin to grieve and mourn over that, if they really do understand it. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Then he said, blessed are they that mourn. You say, well, Lord, what are we supposed to do now as sinners? I mean, we're lost, and the wages of sin is death. What are we supposed to do now? Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, those who are willing to be governed, those who would run to Christ and come to know Him. And what's really interesting is the very next beatitude is He says, Blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness. In other words, if somebody really does recognize that he is poor in spirit and he mourns and he grieves over that, he says, Lord, save me. First Peter tells you, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, one of the very first things that happens is people get hungry. I mean, they start longing for righteousness. They start longing for the word of God. I, th- I believe that's exactly what happened here when they met together as one man. And look down in verse 9 when it says... And all the people wept. All the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They realized, that's how we got in this mess. That's how our city was destroyed. They're thinking about their own children, their own grandchildren, and saying, Lord, how do we avoid this so it never, ever happens ever again? It is so easy in this society right now for you and me to live for ourselves, you see it. I mean, it's so common in in the world that what people are doing is they're living for themselves. For instance, they are aborting their infants so that they can have uh, a, a more convenient life, you might say. But look, I just want to talk to you about this as believers this morning, as Christians. Do you see where this nation is going? Do you see and understand the trajectory of where it is going? I think all of us here understand that in defying God, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, became vain in their imaginations, their foolish heart was darkened. You and I see where it's going. Here's the question that I brace myself with. One of these days, my children say to me, Daddy? Granddaddy, when you saw where our nation was going, what did you do about it? What did you do about it? Dear friends, I would say to you that every one of us this morning, we have to answer that question. What did we do about it? 2 Corinthians 10.6, having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled, what did we do? here's the pattern that is laid out in Nehemiah chapter 8. They're, they're showing us, here's, here's what you do. They, they wept when they heard the words of the law. They knew exactly why their city had been in rubble, but, but they rejoiced. They, they had rebuilt, in a sense, of Isaiah 61. The Lord had given them beauty for ashes. That's what can happen in every generation by God's grace. The question for all of us is, will we seek the Lord, and will we ask for the Word of God the very same way that they were doing? What we're describing here this morning, of course, we would call revival. Verse 3, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law, as one man, verse 1, and they wept because they had understood the Word. This is really neat, but when you in Sunday school, a lot of our Sunday school classes were working through the Psalms of Ascent. And there's a beautiful one in Psalm 133. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That's what they were experiencing here. Let's ask the question this morning how did it happen? Well, first of all, as we've described here, you see that they were showing us that with other believers. We could come together in unity to give careful attention to the preaching and teaching of God's Word. That's exactly what you and I are doing this morning with other believers, we are coming together and saying, I want to give very careful attention to this. I know Pastor Shepard would be the very same way Pastor Rod and I are on this. If we can't show it to you in the Bible, then, then be really careful. We don't want to give you our opinions. We want to give you the very Word of God. We want you to know what does the Bible actually say. And when you look at the overall story of the word of God's grace, and it's also referred to as the, the gospel of His grace, what's the Bible really about? Okay, when you get right down to it, in an overarching sense, what is the Bible really about? Dear friends, it's about the glory of God. Romans 11:36, "For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever." That's what your Bible's about. Yeah, but it's about something else too, isn't it? It's about the rebellion of mankind against the glory of God. And when mankind rebelled in the Garden of Eden, again, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, became vain in their imaginations, their foolish heart was darkened, shook their fist in the face of God. That's where all this heartache is coming from. That's where every hearse, every curse, every cemetery, every everything that we're going through, it all started with rebellion of mankind. But here's the story of the scripture: the word of his grace and the gospel of his grace are the same. What is the word of His grace? It tells us about the glory of God. It tells us about the rebellion of mankind. It tells us about the awful penalty for that rebellion. It tells us about Christ who paid the penalty for the rebellion of mankind. And there is this strong appeal, embrace Christ by faith today. So that the gospel of grace and the word of His grace are the same in their emphasis. They illustrate it in different ways. But here's what you and I know today. We have a wonderful good news to preach. One of our pastors, uh, Dr. Richard Snavely, used to say, he said, I may not be the best gospel preacher, but nobody has a greater gospel to preach. That's a great way for you and me to look at that and ask ourselves this morning, how can we do this? It's what they were doing here in in Nehemiah chapter 8, they were turning the corner by God's grace. It is a good thing to grieve and mourn. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 3, by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. So sometimes it's absolutely essential that you and I would grieve and then we would mourn. So we can really recognize with letter C up here, you see on the screen, thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the gift that we celebrate. As the lady was asking, how how can it be this easy? Oh, the price that was paid by our precious Lord to bring about that salvation. So what we're really understanding there is that with other believers we want to come together and we want to just seek after, we, we want God's Word, we want the preaching and teaching. Not so many people today are saying, we need, we need less of the, no, we need more of the Scripture. We need more understanding from God. And isn't it interesting that when they gathered together, one of the first things they did Was they prayed and they exalted the great God, and all the people said, Amen. Well, there you are. I mean, there's step two right there that with other believers, we would worship the Lord with prayer and praise to God. He's the one who deserves all the glory. When we speak of the glory of God, we are speaking of His unique excellence. We're talking about magnifying His uniqueness. He is the creator. Everything else is the creation. Hallowed be thy name, Lord, we say. Lord, you deserve all the praise and all the glory. And they were beginning to really understand this is really the way that we ought to approach this. We ought to approach it from a standpoint of saying, I really do want to honor the Lord. As it's been said, there's only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. These people were coming around and saying, "Look, we want to just we want to magnify the Lord." And here was this genuine revival. By the way, as you can see there in your manuscripts, there is another revival that is predicted in Israel. It's in Zechariah chapter twelve and into verse thirteen, and it says about them that they will mourn, they will grieve, and they shall look on him whom they have pierced and shall mourn for him. And Revelation, I'm sorry, Zechariah chapter 13 verse 1 says that a fountain for their cleansing will be opened in that day. The the stories that you find throughout the scripture are about revival, genuine revival. Our God makes all things new. He restoreth our souls. He is the one who does this magnificent work in each and every one of us. And so, when you think about these these people in Zechariah chapter twelve and this amazing promise when, when the Lord pours out his spirit precious promise of his grace, then his people shall behold him and his welcoming embrace, then the blessed house of David will cry out and humbly pray, and a fountain for their, their cleansing shall be opened in that day. This is what is being described, and I think what you see here in Nehemiah is exactly the same thing. This is what the Lord is doing with all of us. There's a third step here this morning, and we can see this, that with other believers we learn to take on life with the joy of the Lord as your strength. People who were mourning, people who were grieving, they were going through very difficult times, Notice that what enables them here is that the joy of the Lord is their strength. And I think that we can break this down this morning. We can take it apart and say, okay, let's talk about exactly what did they do, exactly how did they approach that. Well, first of all, you can see there in verse 9, they said, this day is holy unto the Lord your God, mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. This is fascinating. We say, "Lord, hallowed and set apart, holy is your name." The Lord says, "Don't weep, don't mourn. It's time to rejoice." And you and I are saying, "Yes, Lord, I I would love to turn the corner and rejoice." How do I do that? Well. We can honor God with our holidays. Proverbs 16, verse 3, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. We can ask the Lord to transform us. We've heard joy as Jesus and others and you. But I just want to caution you here that it's really important that you and I think the right way about this. What do we learn in the Scriptures? You can see it in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus said, Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is, Jesus was saying, look, it's not about others serving you. There is great joy in serving others. There's a great way to think about the holidays. But be really, really careful with this. Do you remember in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that David had leisurely days. He had days when he was at peace and he was there and he began to pray and said, Lord, I just want to build you a house. And the Lord came back and said, I'll build you a house. And that is the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and the Lord told David that the Messiah would be his descendant. That he would establish his house forever. like, wow, what a great way to use your leisurely time. Will you seek the Lord with your leisurely time in these holidays that way? But don't forget, four chapters later, David used his leisurely time to commit the biggest mistakes of his entire career, adultery and murder, and ultimately had to be confronted about that. It raises for every one of us the question this morning, How are we going to use our downtime? How are we going to use our leisurely time, our discretionary time? In the first place, David used it in such a way that there were never-ending results. The second time, he lived for his nerve endings. It raises the question for all of us this morning. Are we going to live for our nerve endings? Are we going to live for what's never-ending? Be very careful as you think about your holidays and your downtime that you approach it in the right way. Then, you can see it in verse 10... Make plans to make merry with good food and gifts. There, there are people who say, no, 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 Now, If I'm going to be a Christian and I'm going to be holy, I can't. It's right here in the Word of God that you and I would make merry. We would make plans to make merry, to give good gifts. Look what he says, go your way, eat the fat. Aren't you glad for that in a cholesterol time? You know, when everybody's talking about cholesterol, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet Send portions unto those for whom nothing is prepared. And you're you're asking yourself in this holiday, hey, does everybody have enough? Do I know of anybody who has need? Is there there any way I can be a blessing to somebody else? That's exactly what they were doing and saying, this day is holy unto the Lord. It is the Lord's will for humble people to have a joyous holiday with delicious food and beverages and to honor God. And the real point is, don't let the sorrows that you are going through swallow up your celebration of the holidays. You know how prone some people are to do this. And you can see it here in the scriptures that they're telling them, mourn not nor weep, neither be sorry, neither be grieved. And they're saying things like, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And they're saying, make great mirth. Wow! Is that really biblical? It's right here in the Scripture, and it's the way that you and I can have one of the most wonderful holiday seasons of all. And finally, make these holidays the best ever. Look, do we have in this passage this morning a biblical mandate to say, let's make these holidays like the best ever. You and I get all jealous when we watch a Uh, charles dickens christmas carol and look at all the merriment and things like look we're commanded in the scriptures that we would approach it in this way and i think we could make these the best holidays the very best ever rejoicing always in our understanding of the word of god's grace this is what the lord wants us to begin with what a powerful testimony this could be to so many people around us today who are grieving over the consequences of sin they do understand the awful penalty for that sin they have understood I need help what a wonderful way you and I could testify to them this year Ecclesiastes 8 1 says the wisdom of a man makes his face to shine may I appeal that as we look at these coming days that we would think about Lord give me a shining face where I could testify to others even though I remember those who have passed on. I especially remember them at the holidays. Lord, give me the ability to really carefully be a a motivating factor by introducing them to the gospel of God's grace to show them how we could all turn the corner and have happy, holy days. Could we bow our heads together just for a moment? Dear friends, I would just ask you, first of all, Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you know the Messiah of whom we speak? Have you embraced him by faith today? If not, then you really cannot understand what we are talking about this morning. Those who do not know the Lord cannot see the kingdom of God. But today you might say, but I really want that. I I want that reality in my life of what the Lord could do. Perhaps in this very moment, you would say, I want to come to Christ. I want to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Friend, why not right now? It says in Romans 10, the word is nigh thee, the word which we preach, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's a promise from God. He could save you in this very moment. It's just that simple. I'm speaking today to a lot of Christians. Christians, we've been through a lot. Some of you have been through some really, really difficult times. Would you ask the Lord this morning to turn your heart to joy? That when we do sing joy to the world, or we do sing who is he in yonder stall, or we do sing heart the herald angels sing, that from our hearts we could joyously mean that. That this holiday season would be filled with just the tremendous joy that comes from knowing Jesus Christ I believe if we do that we have a tremendous opportunity to testify let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven Lord thank you for helping us to understand today how to have blessed holidays I thank you for these in the Old Testament who have now testified to us about these happy, holy days that they had of great rejoicing and making mirth and eating good food and and sending portions to those who have none and that the joy of the Lord is their strength. Lord, would you help us in these dark days, especially if we are grieving and mourning over something that has happened. Lord, I just ask, That you would help all of us today to rejoice knowing that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.